I want us to uh, start this morning um, by praying together and specifically praying over um, all of our UNC students who are here today. Um, We know that this has been an incredibly difficult week and that every person who's a part of this community feels the impact and feels the weight of this week. And so we want to start by praying over you. Uh, And as we get ready to pray for you, even before we pray, we just want to say very clearly how much we love you. We are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for the way that you lead this church community, um, for the way that you are pillars within this church community. Uh, You are such a crucial part of who we are as a family together. And so we honor you in that today. And we also want to just begin by by praying over you together. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for every student and every person here connected together, specifically every UNC student. And even though this is a large university, weeks like this remind us of how interconnected we all are with each other. And we pray that the peace of Jesus would just settle in. That people would feel your embrace of them. That people would sense the strength of your love standing beside them. I pray that not just for this moment, but in days to come and in moments of need, in moments of crisis, in moments of despair, we just pray prophetically in advance for your peace to move on people to move across this campus. We pray for your love to move across this campus and this entire community. We pray for you to intercede for people in moments of crisis when you know what no one else around them knows. Jesus, we pray that you would Speak into the hearts and minds and lives of people when they're feeling at their lowest. And they would sense that when they feel all alone in this world, they would have this unshakable sense of reality that you are there, that you are with them, that they are not alone because you are with them. We pray that you would help us as a church community to support each other 
and to support this community around us. And that we would be glimpses of hope. That we would speak openly and honestly about our own struggles. About the realities of our own mental health wrestling that we go through. That this community, this church community would become a safe place to be honest about that. And also would become a healing place able to connect people to the help that is needed. We ask you to guide us in that. We ask you to bring healing. And we ask you to bring the hope that you are into this community. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to start off this morning in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and uh, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. You can follow along on, uh, at, at, on, your, um, on your phones there at, at lovechapelhill.com slash Sunday. How old did I sound right then? I sounded very old. On your, uh, your, uh, your little Google machines. All right. Uh, so that passage that, that you have there, uh, that's where we're going to start this morning and that's where we're going to end this morning. Uh, and the book ending of that uh, is intentional and you'll catch uh, the sense of that as we move through it and, and understand why that's intentional. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9. Here's what it says. This is a key text We're going to unpack it together, but this is a key text for the Jewish people and for the people of Israel uh, throughout their history. Um, And therefore, for Jesus being born into that history, intentionally stepping into that history. This was a forming passage for the people of Israel as a whole and therefore for Jesus and his disciples, all of whom are rooted in that reality and in that history. Here's what God says to his people through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you walk along the road or when you sit at home, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your doorways and on your gates. This is what the Lord says to his people Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the reason that this is a core text for the people of Israel and has become a core text for us as a church community is because this is connected to the moment that God is giving his law 
to his people through Moses, the commandments that he's giving to them that lay out for them this vision of what it looks like to be the people of God in the world. This is what it means to live in covenant with God. And as he's laying out this reality for them, attached to giving those commands, he gives them this prayer and this framing and this vision for who they are to be as his people in the world. This, is, this section of scripture is often called the Shema, and that just comes from that first word, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That word hear, uh, it, the Hebrew word is Shema. And so it became this prayer that's just simply known as that, the Shema. And the Jewish people would take these words so literally. You see here where, where God says, these commands are to be upon your heart. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And so they took this literally. And so when they got up in the morning and when they would end their day in the evening, this prayer becomes a, a framing point for their entire day. It bookended their day. So they would begin their day by praying this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then they would end their day in the same way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so it becomes this bookend that sets the framework for every single day. And as they did that day after day after day, it didn't only become the framework for that day, it became the framework for their entire lives. And you can hear that sense in this. You can hear how it's this all-encompassing vision of what it means to have life in God. This all-encompassing vision that reaches into every single corner of their lives. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, your full being, the holistic reality of who you are. Love God with all of it, all of yourself for all of God. It's a powerful vision that God gives to them of what it means to be their people, reaching into every single corner of their lives, flowing out of this deep place within them, and then shaping every single part of who they are. Impress it on your hearts. Pass it to your children at home, on the road. Lie down, get up. Tie it to your hands. In other words, all of your actions should be driven by this, should flow out of this core and centering reality. Bind it to your foreheads. In other words, the way that you see the world and understand the world and perceive everything around you should come through this framing point and this reference point of the wisdom of God. You see everything through that lens. Later, by the time of Jesus, some took this so literally that they, they would create little boxes that they would put the scriptures in and they would literally tie them to their hands. And they would literally tie little boxes holding the scripture to their foreheads. That's how seriously they took this. Your doorways and your gates. In other words, 
in all of your coming and going and everything in between, everywhere you go and when you come back home. This is the reference point of your life. This is the centering point of your life. And so it became that kind of prayer for them. Frame their day, frame their very lives, constructing for them this home within the words of God that they live their lives. Constructing a home within the words of God for how to live their lives. We hear this echoed in the teachings of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 7 the revolutionary Sermon on the Mount. We still haven't gotten over Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All right, Greatest sermon ever preached. Incredible, brilliant, genius teaching by Jesus. And how does he end the whole thing? Except by using, again, this image of building a house. So there's an intentional connection between Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and what we get in the book of Deuteronomy of God giving his law to his people through Moses and this mountaintop experience of God giving the law on Mount Sinai. We see this connection to Jesus with his Sermon on the Mount. And so the mountain uh, of Moses in, in Deuteronomy, God's law, this is what it means to be my people, how to live in the world, to show the world that you're my people. And the same thing that Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He sits down on a mountainside, on a hillside. He opens his mouth. He turns the world upside down with what he has to say. And he says, this is the vision of what it means to be the kingdom of God in the world. The kingdom is here. It is now. It is alive in you. And here's what it looks like for you to live it out. And this intentional connection. And at the end of that sermon, Jesus says this, but for all of these things that I've said, if you don't, if you only hear these words, but you don't practice them, it's like building a house on the sand when the rain comes and the storm and the wind come against the house, it has no chance to stand. But if you hear these words and you put them into practice, if they become the framework for your life, if you take the words of God and they construct this house for you to live in, in your life, then that is building a house on the rock. And when the storm comes, the house will Stand because the word of God will live forever. So we have that interesting connection there. Building a house on the rock and the kind of house that will stand. Living within the words of God as the framework for our lives. When, when I was in seminary, uh, I had a professor named Robert Mulholland. And uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant man, uh, deep, such a deep soul. Uh, and he would ask these two questions over and over. Uh, it got into our minds and into our hearts. Over the summer, I was back together uh, with a few friends from seminary that we haven't spent time like that together in 13 years. And uh, we got back together this summer and these, this was one of the memories that came back up again. And we're like, remember Dr. Mulholland? And this is what he would always say. And we would talk about this. Uh, but he, he asked these questions. Two questions paired together. Are you in the world for God? Or are you in God for the world? 
Are you in the world for God or are you in God for the world? And I love the looks on your faces right now because it's the same thing. I'm like, hmm, (laughs) I think I know which one I'm supposed to answer, but I'm not exactly sure, right? And so his challenge to us, and I think it's a particularly strong challenge for a community like ours, but his challenge for us is this. We must actually begin from the point of being in God for the world. We are an activist kind of community here, not just Chapel Hill as a whole, but us as a church community as well. We're constantly asking the question of what can we do next? We talk about love missions and how can we actively express the love of God in this community around us? We want to be engaged I love this about you. I love your heart for justice. I love it. It's such a beautiful reflection of the heart of Jesus. And in almost any event that happens, no matter where it takes place in the world, we have people in this congregation that carry the burden for that deeply and they want to do something about it. And I honor that and I love that. And we need that. But... If we only try to constantly be in the world for God, if that's our beginning point and we forget to be rooted in him first, if it's not flowing out of that deep rootedness, then we will burn out and we will burn out quickly. How you doing up there? (laughs) I love I'm getting some amens from the creation. All right. Sweet. Um, every time you hear that from now on, it's not a distraction. That's, that's, that, that bird's like, yes, get it. Keep going. Preach it. All right. But we run the risk of burning out. Many of you are in the middle of that right now. For those among us who are in the medical field, we love you. We're so grateful for you. And our hearts break over the burden that you're carrying every single day. And you watch as people around you are burning out because of the weight of that burden. That's real. That's a reality. Some of you have felt that sense of fatigue because you care so deeply about what is happening in the world and you want so desperately to do something about it. That's the heart of God. That's the reflection of the heart of Jesus in you. But if you aren't rooted deeply in Jesus, and if that's not what's motivating and empowering that, then you will quickly find yourself too fatigued to keep moving. Compassion fatigue is a very real thing. And we see in the life of Jesus how he so frequently went away, it says, to a solitary place to re-engage with this deep intimacy with his father so that everything that he's doing in ministry is flowing out of that. Even Jesus had to do that. We'll talk about that a little bit down the road, but we need to talk about what it looks like to rest well as a community. Again, thank you for the way you made space for my family and for me in that this summer, telling me to take some time to have space for rest. Thank you for being intentional about that. 
And as a church, we need to make sure that opportunity is open to all of us to learn what it means to rest well. Are you in the world for God? Are you out there just trying to accomplish God's work for him in the world? Or are you starting from the point of being in God for the world? It is for the sake of the world. It's got to flow out of us. It can't just be a curved inward on ourselves kind of thing. It's got to be turned outward and flowing outward. But it starts from this place of being rooted deeply in him. Are you in the world for God or are you in God for the world? Over these next several weeks together, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in God for the world. Another one of my uh, favorite authors is a man named Richard Foster. He wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline about the practice of spiritual disciplines. Uh, Very impactful book for me. Um, But he makes this statement, what the world needs now is not gifted people, talented people, impressive people, or accomplished people. What the world needs the most right now, deep people. Deep people. The world is desperate for people who are rooted deeply in the reality of a relationship with Jesus and allowing transformation to flow out of that. So today's message is a is an introduction to where we're going to be going in this series together. Uh, the title of our series that we're going to be in is How to Build a Monastery. And so we're using this image of a monastery, which represents this place of deep intimacy, right? Uh, and we think about that and that kind of structure, a person goes away and it's this place of deep communion in the presence of God. So we're going to be turning that on its head, of course. Uh, And you've heard us use this language before of mobile monasteries. And we're going to talk about what it means to be that, to be people who are in God, but for the world. All right. So it's not just pulling out of the world around us, not just escaping from the world around us, but being fully engaged with the world around us as mobile monasteries. People who are experiencing what it means to live in communion with God and it's happening in the middle of this world all around us. Everywhere we go, we're carrying that kind of communion with us for other people to experience as well. Uh, Brother Lawrence a monk talked about it using the language of practicing the presence of God, being aware of living in the presence of God and the presence of God is living in us. St. Teresa of Avila referred to it as the interior castle being constructed within us by the Holy Spirit. St. Patrick of Ireland talked about monasteries in the midst, not just retreating away, but instead engaging in the world with this deep transformational relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul talked about what it means to be hidden with Christ in God in the book of Colossians chapter 3 verse 3. And then probably my favorite description of this, not just because Jesus said it, all right, but my favorite description of this is the way that Jesus cast this vision in John chapter 15. 
when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might become even more fruitful. You have already been made clean by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Making our home in him and him making his home in us. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is what he's drawing us into. So we're going to use this imagery over the next several weeks of building a monastery together. So we got the bird. We got these folks. This is awesome. <laughs> While we're talking about the peace of a monastery, right? This is, this is real life right here. I love it. So that's where we're going to go over these next several weeks. Is it getting louder? I think it's getting louder. Awesome. All right, when the person comes through, if it's like a leaf blower, just everybody wave, all right, and clap for them. I'm kidding. All right. So this is where we're going to be together over these next several weeks, what it looks like to live in God for the world. Um, we'll talk more, unpacking more what we've talked about before, about discipleship and mission and community, that being the DNA of the church. For this series, we're going to specifically look at four walls that we're going to use to build this monastery, okay? And they come from discipleship, mission, and community. That's the DNA of the church anywhere you see it around the world, across any culture, across time, all right? Those three things are always present, elemental to the church, discipleship, mission, and community. So we're going to use those for building the walls. Obviously, that's only three things and you need a fourth wall. And so what we're going to do is talk about discipleship in two aspects, specifically uh, scripture and prayer. Okay, so our four walls for building this monastery. This is for the people who like to take notes, who like love it when you get a bullet, get some bullet points. I'm not really a bullet point guy. So this is for you. Okay, scripture, prayer, mission, community. These are the four walls that we're going to use to construct this monastery together. All right. Uh, a few weeks back, our friend Eddie Bergar, give it up for Eddie. Eddie led several people from our church in, uh, in a Habitat for Humanity build. And that's what Eddie does every day. Eddie's a part of Habitat for Humanity uh, and a part of providing affordable housing for people in this community. And uh, we're really proud to have Eddie as a part of our church family and to lead in this community in that kind of way. Uh, but what was the thing that you guys did as a Habitat crew that day, Eddie? Yes, you did. You raised the walls, all right? And think about how it changed the way you saw that work, those of you that were there. When those walls were raised at the end, suddenly there's this different form 
and structure and you could start to see the whole picture coming together when those four walls get raised. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do together over these next few weeks. It goes back to what Jesus is talking about in chapter Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, building a house on the rock. That's what we're going to build together. It goes back to what we heard in Deuteronomy chapter 6 about the doorways and the gates, about lying down, getting up, walking along the road, sitting at home, forming this house for us to live within the words of God, living in God for the world. Uh, if you don't like that imagery of a monastery, maybe there's some, there's some block to that. Um, and also, one of the things that we always want to be realistic about and open about here in our church community is that many of our honored leaders within this church community, uh, even the word home, has a barrier to it. Uh, and we acknowledge that today. Um, and we don't just use that language without thinking about that reality as well. So if monastery has a block for you or home feels like a block for you in using this imagery, another image we could use is an arboretum. All right. So the arboretum can also serve as an image for us as we're walking through this with scripture being this central tree right here, all right? And this deeply rooted tree that we're all gathered around together and it kind of sets the form for everything else that happens here. It is a central reference point for everything else that happens. It speaks into everything else that happens. It's a way of us navigating the rest of this entire space so we can think about scripture as this tree we can think about prayer uh, as the different uh, flowers and plants that fill out this place and the reality of the diversity of that and so many of us struggle with the ideas of prayer we'll talk about that we're going to get really honest about that as well uh, and what does it mean when it feels like you can't hear from God what does it mean when it feels like you cannot even bring yourself to pray, not much less hear back from him, but even that starting point of talking to him in the first place. And so we're going to talk about the diversity of that and the reality of that diversity of expressing prayer in so many different ways, but also the reality of going through seasons when things feel completely dormant and you're not seeing the visible reality around you, but the reality that there is life beneath the surface there. And what does it mean to feel like things are dormant in that reality of prayer? When we talk about mission, we can think about the gateways of in and out of this place, right? Uh, inviting people in and also at the same time us intentionally going out to take this to the community around us. And when we talk about community, we can think about the pathways here. Many people in this church, we've had some great meetings. We've had some great walks on these pathways and we've connected deeply with each other as we've walked along these pathways. And so that can be a symbol for us of what it means to walk this journey together. So 
choose your own image as we're moving through this. But those are the four things that we're going to be talking about together as a church over these next several weeks. Scripture, prayer, mission, community, and how we continue to live that out as a church family together. One quick word on the garden imagery and the arboretum imagery is we do realize that life will not always look like a garden. And so while some have a block when we talk about monastery or home, others you have a block when we talk about garden. And life does not always look like a garden. And we understand that reality. And we, we realize too that some of the key moments throughout Scripture do not take place in a garden, but they take place in a desert of God with His people in a desert. Even Jesus Himself going through the experience of a desert and being tempted in the desert. The Shema that we started with and that we're going to end with here in just a few minutes was given to God's people where? In the desert. As they're making their way towards the promised land, but they weren't there yet. Even when you're in a garden, it doesn't always look like a garden. We think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on his last night with his disciples when he is about to go to the cross and it says he is overcome with so much anxiety as he pleads with the Father that his sweat turns to blood. A God who knows what it feels like to wrestle through the depths of anxiety. And he comes to that place of resolution of not my will, but your will be done. So we're going to be walking through all of this together. And I want us to close today in the same way that we started to frame and to bookend, echoing what the people of Israel have done for so many generations with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The challenge for us today is I want to challenge you to commit that passage to more than memory. Yes, I'm going to challenge you to memorize it, but more than memorize it, I'm going to challenge you to start praying it, to start entering into that practice for so many generations of the Jewish people and for Jesus himself. Isn't that a strange thought? To frame your days in the same way that Jesus would have framed his Begin and end your day with this prayer. Over weeks, it might take you weeks to get into that rhythm of committing that to memory. But as you do, you will sense a house starting to form. And that invitation to live within the words of God, to live in God for 
the world. To make it extremely practical, and some of you will want this, others you might find it too cheesy and say, no thank you, all right? But one thing that I'm going to do is, uh, since this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, I'm going to take those numbers and I'm going to use that to set an alarm in my life so that my phone will buzz and will remind me to pray at 649 in the morning and at 649 in the evening to begin and to close morning and evening, framing the day with this prayer as we're building this house together and living in the words of God, living in God for the world. We're going to now invite you to share in communion together. And in just a moment, I'm going to break the bread and raise the cup. But as we move into that, Specifically today, and for our community as a whole, remember that we live in a story where God Himself came to walk among us and to walk through every single pain that we experience. He intentionally enters into that. What do you do with a God who suffers willingly out of love? How do you make sense of that? But as we break that bread and lift that cup today, let it be a reminder to us that this isn't just a person who gives us words to memorize and challenges us to live by them, but He carved the way Himself. He is the Word. And He showed us the full extent of His love by being willing to suffer for us and to remind us in our lowest points that we are not alone because He is with us. As we break the bread and raise the cup today, that will be your invitation to come and to participate in that story and to embrace his love for you. Amen.